Hello fellow adventurers, I'm Josie Thompson and welcome to the You Can Shine podcast where I explore real stories of real people just like you and I who have faced adversities and trials and won. Today I'm here with VJ Bat. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest. I met Vijay on a webinar recently that he hosted all about resilience, which as you know, is my keynote passion. And just like me, Vijay is a cancer thriver. He faced colon cancer in 2001 and turned to a holistic and integrated approach to make a full recovery. 19 years later, he is still cancer free and a better person than before. Vijay pioneered cancer coaching in India and he provides a structured Thriver coaching program to people facing cancer. He and his wife, Nilima, co-authored the book, My Cancer Is Me, The Journey From Illness to Wholeness. Vijay's story and work have been widely covered by leading media he calls himself a lifelong wanderer, dabbler, student, and seeker with a passion in the domains of nature, culture, and self. Vijay is partner to Nilima and father to son, Shrivan, and daughter, Shambhavi. And a fun fact about Vijay is he had a pet crab called Cancer. Welcome, Vijay. Thank you so much, Josie. Such a delight to be here with you and your audience. I'm so privileged that you've decided to come here today. And I've done a bit of a rundown, Vijay, on some of the highlights, I guess, of your life. But can you tell us a little bit about the, the real story, the story underneath who is Vijay Bhatt? What are some of the formative experiences that have shaped your life? Yeah, uh, I was born in Mumbai in a small and uh, middle-class, pretty orthodox Hindu family. Uh, I grew up uh, to be an all-rounder. Uh, right from the beginning, I think I was somebody who did better than well in many fields, whether it was my studies or music or sports or things like that. So being an all-rounder has always come quite naturally to me. One of my really big formative experiences was uh, when I joined St. Xavier's College, which is one of India's best known and perhaps most liberal environments. And uh, there again, I, I felt really encouraged to develop different parts of myself, not just the academic part. Uh, another big formative experience for me was uh, when I joined advertising in my early years, I used to work uh, for an airline client and they gave me the chance to travel to Europe and US, which I did as a backpacker. That really changed my life. So Vijay, tell me, when you say it was a liberal environment <laughs> from Xavier, when you got, you got to explore a lot of different areas, what particular areas were, became more significant for you at that time? Yeah, so for example, I... Uh, I got into martial arts, which was not something that I had ever considered before. And I found that to be incredibly character building. Uh, I got into a group where we used to go trekking every alternate weekend in the hills near Mumbai. 
And that gave me a chance to really explore the outdoors and make some really close friends. I had the chance to play sports for my college. I used to play basketball. I used to play table tennis. I dabbled in various, uh, you know, elocutions, debates, things like that. So I think it was more the uh, opportunity to explore all these different parts of myself. I was on the organizing committee for our annual cultural festival, for example. And so not many universities or colleges in India would have so many options and not such a varied set of options either. Right. And then backpacking opened your eyes and your world to so much more too. I determined that I should do it on less than $20 a day, which I did. So it was quite an experience to mature and grow by really opening myself to things that I had never considered possible before. Okay, so that was obviously some, um, you know, huge experience for you in brand new countries where yeah. you had to learn to adapt and, you know, um, figure your way through a lot of yes. uncertainty, yeah? Yes. Hmm. Okay, so when was the next defining experience for you? I would say the, the next defining experience for me was really meeting Nilima uh, after three or four years after I graduated and while she was still graduating from the same institution. Mm. We, met, we met on a train and uh, we were going to a program on transactional analysis. <laughs> that sounds uh, romantic. <laughs> it, it, it indeed, indeed it was. Uh, more, more for her than for me, as she would like to point out. But I think from a very young age, this whole idea of self-development and learning new frameworks for growth and self-development has been something that is very close to me and very close to her. So in a way, uh, our journey together started with that. That has definitely been a defining moment. Yes. Uh, then then uh, the defining moments have been when my company, Ogilvy and Mather, sent me overseas to Singapore to do an Asia-Pacific job and then to London to do a global job and then back to Hong Kong to do another Asia-Pacific job. So I really got the chance to uh, travel. I got the chance to work across cultures. I got the chance to work with some really blue chip clients, you know, Unilever and IBM and American Express and uh, people like that. And so again, it's always been a kind of a, you know, starting here, but then expanding, 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 expanding. Mm. And that has been a tremendously fulfilling journey. And then of course came cancer. So let's go there because I know <clears throat> our audience will definitely want to hear about this story. Mm -hmm. So I was diagnosed out of the blue very soon after I turned 40. Uh, we were living in London at the time and, uh, like for most people who are diagnosed, it was a huge shock for me. And uh, I was very fortunate on the medical front that it was colon cancer. It was not in such an advanced stage, so my surgery could be successful. My statistics were such that the doctors gave me the choice of whether I wanted to take chemotherapy or not, which is unusual. If I was in the US or if I was in India, uh, perhaps even in Australia, they may not have given me the choice but in the UK, they did. Then after I did all my second opinions and checking with people and so on, based on the stats they gave me, I chose not to take the chemo. And that made uh, that put me in a very 
very strange place because then the doctor said fair enough you made your decision now you you know go home and pray and hope that it doesn't come back so to which i said hey doc i'm not a hope and pray kind of guy <laughs> you need to tell me what i can actually do and uh, frankly they didn't have any answers so nilima and i then went to her yoga center and said look can you guys tell us anything that we can do and interestingly the yoga center pointed me to a chinese medicine practitioner in london they said you know he has a tremendous track record with cancer he is a highly qualified md in western medicine but he's also a chinese medicine practitioner and sitting in front of him he really opened our eyes to what was possible and so i guess the most important thing for me to say to your audience is that i was lucky to get high quality help in my early days not just on the medical front but on the non medical front i call them my three angels so your three angels were who one was dr songke this chinese medicine practitioner who opened our eyes to the whole idea of immunity the other was a clinical psychologist called bill mitchell a uh, bill is a cognitive behavior therapist and he really helped me to process a lot of the emotional stuff you know the betrayal and the violation and feeling ambushed by life and all of those things he really helped me to process that and the third was a jesuit priest and a spiritual guide who used to actually be the principal of the senzavier's college that nilima and i both went to and so he came and stayed with us in london for 10 days and he opened our eyes to the the much broader space of holistic and integrated approaches to cancer so i would say nilima who has really been my you know the rock and the my primary caregiver and because of whom i'm still alive but then these three angels have really contributed a huge amount to setting me setting us on this path of mm. illness to wholeness mm. i can really relate to this um i'm curious if you could just share when you said that when you were diagnosed with this you just turned 40 it came out of the blue it was a huge shock <laughs> to you so i'm wondering yeah and then you said the doctors told you to go home and pray and hope you don't come back and all of a sudden you went on this search for answers on your own so yeah. again this this is uncharted waters you must what sort of emotions were going on for you and how did you handle those what was the mindset that assisted and supported you to be open to these strange and new approaches to something that you didn't really know a lot about yet yeah um as i said the first uh, the first emotion was really this this you know having the air sucked out of your lungs kind of despair and there was a great deal of confusion there was a great deal of anger i wasn't sure who i was angry with angry with life angry with god uh, i don't know you know it was a mix of all these negative emotions as i said i felt violated i felt ambushed i felt betrayed because until then i thought i led a pretty good life and until the surgery happened and the surgery was successful uh, i was in that negative space quite a lot 
one of the things which i did which was quite unusual because i'm actually an introvert and i'm a very private person is that very soon after my diagnosis in those days i wrote an email to about 500 people around the world and the title of that email was a new mountain to climb because of my trekking history and then i told everybody that i've been diagnosed with cancer and that i need help this was uh, <laughs> i don't know why i did it even today i don't know why i did it but it returned to me a tsunami of love and support and guidance and resources and i realized that i was not the first person to be touched by cancer i would not be the last person to be touched by cancer other people had walked the path in front of me and they started telling me that hey you should read this book or here is a cd that you must listen to or have you considered this have you tried this and i guess my natural curiosity then got evoked or peaked when this happened and when the surgery was successful then i said to myself hey you know i've got a few months to myself now what am i going to do and uh, nilima being a life science and microbiology student with these three angels in my life it just it was almost as if this was destined to be uh, it wasn't something that i can say i consciously chose it just happened and it started slowly and then slowly slowly rapidly as they say Right. So it sounds like with that tsunami of love and care and concern and all of these different ideas coming forward, you had a mindset that allowed you to be open with curiosity to explore those options with an open mind. How important do you think it is to, to have faith or to have an open mind? when something like this happens i believe it's very important because uh, cancer is a mysterious and a multifactorial disease and there is no single magic bullet as we know so which means that if it is mysterious and multifactorial and if indeed my cancer is me then i have to open myself to a whole new set of discoveries and without that open mind most people are not likely to do that or they are likely to shut down with the first uncomfortable thing that they find mm. and so i have to confess that i found a lot of terrible things about myself mm. uh through this journey so like what jay like the fact that uh, you know i i for example grew up in a as i said a very conservative and orthodox hindu household but because of my education because of my approach i had kind of lost touch with that i had diverged away and i felt that that disconnection that i had with my roots was a problem and so i you know i had focused on the wings part of it i had in a way lost touch with my roots and that was uh, deeply uncomfortable for me and then i had to take some concrete steps to reconnect with my roots or for example i discovered that i have a really good mind but that i'm not very good on at the emotional level in terms of being able to identify or to be able to name or claim my own emotions and so i had to do i threw myself into 
workshops and seminars and coaching and therapy and all, tried out all kinds of things because we really said that, you know, let me leave no stone unturned. Mm. And so the idea that you can keep an open mind, take in a lot, process what works for you, mm. take that forward and let go the rest. And it doesn't matter which system or which methodology something comes from. And mm. as long as it works for me, it's worth following. So how did you manage fear? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, fear is something that is part, that is hardwired into the human being, right? Uh, I mean, just uh, two days ago, in fact, after this meeting, I'm going to meet my endocrinologist because I have a thyroid issue going on since you mentioned thyroid earlier. And every time I go to the hospital 20 years later, I still feel fear. Uh, and I guess my insight has been that it's okay to have fear and it's okay to have the negative emotions as long as there is a part of you that is sufficiently dissociated from it to be able to witness what is going on. Now, this did not come easy. This came after trying and practicing lots of meditation type approaches where you learn to cultivate this two-track mind. One track which is operating in the world and is feeling whatever it's feeling and the other track is the witnessing kind of mind. And I guess that uh, my way of dealing with fear has been to first accept it as being something very natural uh, and then to be able to feel it and then distance myself a little bit from it so that I can actually observe it. And when I do that, I find that fear or any other negative emotion loses its power and its potency and its punch. Yes, I can totally agree with that. Um, so is meditation part of your regular practice? It is, it is. Uh, I tried, uh, it wasn't easy for me. I tried all kinds of meditative techniques. And again, I started to find some things that really worked for me, some things that did not work for me. And I started putting it together, synthesizing it into what I feel is a practice that is effective for me. I call it, I've got a short version of it called a presence practice, which I share with people all around the world, uh, not only in the cancer work, but also in my leadership work. And then <clears throat> Nilima and I have created what is called a cellular healing meditation, which is basically the idea that we can be in dialogue with ourselves. And so again, the whole approach that look around, try everything, and then piece together and synthesize what really works. Mm. Uh, this has been my meditation approach as well. Beautiful. So what is your regime now? Like from everything that you've learned, all the experiences that you've had, what have been the sustainable practices that have enabled you to maintain your capacity to thrive? See, we always look at it at these five levels, right? So at the physical level, I changed my lifestyle habits considerably. Diet, sleep, exercise, socialization, you know, big changes. 
at the emotional level, as I said, really to try and change how you react. Uh, in all of these, I am successful in many cases and not so successful in other cases, right? So it's a constant journey. At the mental level, it's about changing how you think. And all of these changes are possible. There are wonderful tools, methodologies, techniques, teachers available to do so. At the relational level, it's really about changing how you relate. Can you really relate? In my case, you know, relating from the head is easy. Relating from the heart is tough. And then finally, at the spiritual level, change how you connect. Not connect with some kind of external god or goddess or whatever. In my case, it's about connecting with my deeper self. And that's the connection I had lost. So tell us a little bit more about that because it makes, I think it makes a lot of sense when you start talking about the, the physical, the emotional, the mental and the relational. But when it comes to spiritual, this is an area that some people have dabbed in. Other people, it's, it's a very foreign concept and they related to religion. But what yeah. you're saying here, it's about your quest to connect with and understand your true self. So can you say a little bit more about that? Sure. So as I said, uh, because I came from a very religious family, I have a pretty strong religious upbringing. And because of all my travels and all that, I've been interested in different religions and spirituality in general. So I have come to the conclusion, actually, that uh, my interest in spiritual practice or in the spiritual side of ourselves doesn't have anything to do with the conventional notions of God or religion or the scriptures. I respect all of them. I know all of them. But that part of it doesn't really work for me. So when we talk about the spiritual side of ourselves or spiritual stress, for example, we talk about three things. The first is we talk about whether we are leading an inauthentic life. Mm -hmm. Uh, and many of us, because of our social, cultural, sometimes national conventions, lead a life that we know is inauthentic and we experience a lot of stress when we put on that mask. So if you're leading an inauthentic life, you're likely to experience spiritual stress. Mm. The second is that if you have not found or if you have lost touch with a higher purpose, the big why question, why am I here? Uh, then you start feeling spiritual stress. It's that empty feeling that, you know, many of us felt in our midlives. But nowadays, many millennials are also feeling the same question, asking the same question of themselves. Mm. Why am I here? Who am I? What legacy am I going to leave behind, etc. The purpose question. And the third aspect is this one, which is losing connection with your deeper self and basically operating only from the level of the ego and from the level of the, you know, the consuming self that life is about consumption. Life is about taking in and uh, life is really not about connecting and giving out. So, uh, you know, from a coaching standpoint, we talk about the inner coach, if you like, or you can talk about the deeper self or whatever name you choose to give it actually is not that important. 
But if we recognize that within all of us is a is the wisest and the most mature, the most wholesome part of us, then how connected are we and how open are we to hearing the voice of that deeper self? You're speaking my song here. Um, last year, I wrote a book with a leading neuroscientist and a, a management consulting um, expert in the US. And the book is called The Wise Advocate, The Inner Voice. Yeah. Yeah. strategic leadership and that inner voice is something that for me VJ I've got to say I was not familiar with until I got cancer and all of a yeah. sudden I had all of these questions big questions even about God and yeah. everything I had been led to believe that now were not acceptable exactly. because I was taught a whole lot of stuff that I didn't have my own kind of truth around Exactly. So like you, I started asking all these big questions and I realized there's only so many answers you can get out there. But ultimately, your true sense of truth is guided by that inner voice. Yes. So how, in your view, how do people cultivate that connection with that inner self? I guess it, the first thing is to recognize that that inner self exists. And mm. very often when we are caught up in the, you know, skimming and surfing day-to-day -day life, we don't necessarily come into contact with it. But when you face these great adversities and when you've got to find those answers, sometimes in your deepest and darkest moments, that inner voice can be heard. And so what I learned actually in all my uh, practices of meditation is to cultivate that kind of silence to allow that inner voice to be heard. Yes. And, and um, that takes practice. There are plenty of tools, techniques, teachers. There's no dearth of them at all. But uh, when you do cultivate that, it can then become almost second nature to you. Mm. So today, for example, I don't need that much time or effort to be able to dialogue and be in contact with that part of myself. Mm. Uh, and I would say to people that try it out and see for yourself. You will be surprised at the benefits and how easy it can be. So Vijay, I've got a question. You conquered cancer. What did you need to overcome in order to get to where you are now? Well, first of all, uh, I personally don't like to use the word conquer. Okay. Uh, only because, you know, if my cancer is me, then what am I conquering? I feel as if, you know, some of the language and some of the approaches that modern society uses, uh, the whole thing about, you know, fight cancer or pardon my French, but, you know, fuck cancer and stuff mm. like that. Mm. Uh, actually, in my view, is, uh, is counterproductive because my whole approach has been to say, can you include and transcend? Can you embrace cancer as really a part of you that is a teacher and so on? Having said that, uh, I think what I had to overcome was my attachment to a, a identity construct that had been built up over time. You know, my upbringing, my education, my professional life, my success, the roles I was playing, 
all of that creates a kind of an identity construct. And I realized that cancer had come and shaken that identity construct at its root. And uh, so actually my quest became, can I deconstruct and reconstruct myself at that level of identity? Not at the level of mindset and not at the level of the words I was using and not even at the level of the behaviors I was doing, but at the level of identity. And that's why when I say cancer healed me or I'm a better person or a different person now than I used to be, it is actually true. I, I can so relate to that. So you have to go through this, you know, start there, go down to the zero, to a very dark place, and then come out at a different place as a different person. That journey, you can call it the hero's journey or you can call it anything you like, mm. but that journey is the hardest one to actually go through, but also the most fulfilling if you can come out of it. Mm. So Vijay, biggest lessons learned? Biggest lessons learned. Let me see. Number one, cancer can heal you if you let it mm -hmm. and if you engage with it. Number two, whether it is cancer or whether it is COVID or whether it is any other kind of crisis, crisis can awaken. If you look at what's happening to the planet right now, our mortality, our collective mortality is focusing us in a way that nothing else has done before. Now, whether we choose to wake up and do something with it is up to us, mm. but it has the potential to awaken us. Number three is, you know, we, uh, I learned about these three mindsets in my own work and now I'm seeing it play out even now in COVID that you can either have a victim mindset, you can have a survivor mindset, or you can have a thriver mindset. And I believe that, you know, every one of us, when we are hit with a huge adversity, will feel like a victim. And that's very natural. Mm. It's our way of coping with the shock. Then we gather our resources and we fight back. And that is our survivor mindset. Mm. And that is also good, but not enough. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, we have to be able to grow from the experience. And there is a certain amount of transformation that is possible, some metamorphosis that is possible. That is the thriver mindset. And really our job is to help people go through victim survivor to thriver. Another one I would say for me has been, uh, again, I think Brisbane will be different from Bombay. <laughs> Bombay has a lot of potholes and speed breakers, uh, but uh, Brisbane may not. But you know, cancer is not a bump in the road. Cancer is not something you can go over and say, oh, it's done. And, you know, forget all about it. Cancer is a fork in the road. And you have to take the fork in the road. Otherwise, your path to becoming a thriver is unlikely to happen. And that means changing a lot. It means reprioritizing your life. It means, as I said, deconstructing and reconstructing at the level of identity. And uh, treating cancer as a fork in the road, I think, is really, really important. Mm. The last lesson I would say that, again, COVID is proving 
that immunity is the key. That nature has given us an amazing immune system for repair and recovery. Mm. We don't know much about it. Even the doctors don't know much about it. It's probably the least neglect, the most neglected system of the body. But it is pliable and it is uh, handleable by many of the things that we ourselves can do. Mm. So I feel that we actually have a lot of power in our own hands, which we can leverage for our own well-being. So Vijay, would you mind sharing just a couple of tips that people can engage in to improve their immunity? Sure. So for example, um, you know, again, let me talk about at the physical level, one of the best ways to improve immunity is to laugh. Ah. Okay, and I'm not talking about the occasional chuckle when you read a joke on WhatsApp. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about belly laughter, you know, the kind of laughter that you really let yourself go. Now, it's well known that when you laugh like that for even just maybe 30 seconds or 45 seconds, it starts to get the endorphins going and that balances out the stress and that helps to build your immunity. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is a very simple thing. It's got nothing fancy about it, but uh, it's a simple way of building your immunity. Uh, Or, for example, at the relational level, a hug. Right. We all know that how good we feel when we when we hug somebody or when somebody hugs us. Mm -hmm. And then again, what happens is that, you know, the oxytocin gets released and it has an impact biochemically mm. and it improves our immunity, right? So uh, at the emotional level, just to be able to regulate your breath, which in so many practices we are taught in yoga or in Chinese medicine or in so many other practices, right? That when you regulate your breath, it starts to balance out the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. Mm-hmm. And then it starts to help you regulate your emotions, right? So I'm not talking about any big fancy techniques. I'm really talking about something as simple as laughter, a hug, breathing properly, or being able to think in a way that is not negatively biased, right? So I think there are many, many simple things that people can actually do. And then, as I said, the presence practice, making yourself present, making yourself in the here and now, rather than in the past or the future, Mm. or rather than in that circumstance or in this situation. Mm. This has a, this is at the spiritual level. So again, in our work, we always look at it in physical, emotional, mental, relational, and spiritual. And there are some really simple things that we can do to improve Mm. our immunity. Vijay, that is just wonderful. Very practical, simple, empowering ways that people can really support and help themselves. Thank you so much. Are there any other nuggets of wisdom that you would like to leave our audience with today? Uh, Well, You know, right now, I would like to just talk a little bit about what the whole planet is facing in terms of COVID, right? And this idea that uh, COVID is giving us a chance to reset. 
and uh, human beings are so caught up in our own trajectory that we don't stop to reset. But right now, we are being given a chance to reset at an individual level, at a family level, mm -hmm. at a social level, at a planetary level. And so I guess, you know, how can we reset? What can we reset? We don't have to leave everything behind, but we can take the fork in the road. We can reset. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my message to people right now is turn this crisis into a opportunity and use it as an opportunity to reset everything that you wanted to. That would be my big message. Yeah. That's a very, very powerful message that I think a lot of people need to hear right now. And it really helps people shift from victim to thriver mindset as well. So Vijay, if people want to connect with you or know more, where can we direct them? Sure. So uh, before I get to that, I want to say that uh, <clears throat> this whole idea of stress and well-being, etc., one of the problems that we have is that there is no simple way to diagnose for yourself. And uh, therefore, one of the offers I'd like to make to your audience is to say that if you would like to self-diagnose your stressors and your strengths, then we have created a free online holistic health questionnaire. And uh, I invite everybody uh, who is interested to go take that free questionnaire. It takes only 30 minutes to, to do. And you can then also sign up for a free consultation with one of our coaches to help you decode and debrief your own stressors and strengths. So that's my offer to everybody who is listening in to this podcast to say, you know, get, you know, if you don't have a checkup, how will you have a tune-up? Exactly. <laughs> so get the checkup. And the place to get the checkup is... Uh, uh, it's called hhq.cancerawakens.com. I'll repeat that, hhq.cancerawakens.com. Beautiful. And, and to know more about our work in the cancer space, please visit our website, which is www.cancerawakens.com. We also do a lot of work in the preventive space which is, you know, my belief is that prevention is better than cure. And how can we help people prevent serious illness? Mm. And therefore, we do a lot of corporate work uh, as well. And uh, the corporate work, we have a program called Stress to Swasthya. And I want to end my piece with Swasthya is a Sanskrit word. It's a very important Sanskrit word. There is no equivalent word for it in English. So in Sanskrit, <clears throat> there is a word called arogya. Arogya means arogya, no illness. But that is not an adequate definition of health where I come from. Absence of illness is not health. Swasthya, which means to be established in your deeper self, swasthya, to be established in your deeper self, that is the true definition of well-being. So, our program is called Stress to Swasthya. And if you want to know more about this, you can also visit that website, www.stresstoswasthya.com. We'll spell it out in the supers or something. I'm sure you can do that, yes, Josie. I'll put so, it in the notes. Absolutely. So, 
So that's where you can contact me and learn about our work. Beautiful. Vijay, what an inspiration and true light you are in this world. You've really shown us that no matter what the circumstances, you really can rise and shine again. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity and my warm wishes to you personally and to all your audience. Beautiful. Thank you. Now, if Vijay can do it, so can you. If you like this podcast, share your comments with me and tell us what you loved about the interview and how it's helpful to you. Help spread the love by sharing the link with your friends so that they too can rise and shine. So until next time, remember, it's not what happens to you that defines you. It's how you respond that counts. Shine on. You can shine.